Hello, how's everybody doing today? Well, good. I am pumped today. This is a great day, and I'm glad that you guys braved the weather and made it here. Or if you made the decision to stay home and you're live streaming this, we're glad that you're watching um, because sometimes you've got to make that decision to stay home too, which is good. But we're, I'm, I'm, this is a good Sunday. This is a good, didn't the band sound great? Man, that was awesome. They were, they were doing incredible today, leading us into worship. It's just a great Sunday, and we're in the middle of our 21 days of prayer, and those, that's been awesome. Shannon shared that story. It's been really cool to hear some of your stories about how God has been answering your prayers during these 21 days, and I know he's going to answer even more. Even in my life, there's been a few things that I've been praying for for months, a few for years that have happened in these 21 days, and I'll probably share about some of them in the future, but it's just been amazing to watch God work, and he's going to continue to work, so be here next week as we celebrate the wrap-up of those 21 days with a feast. Some of you guys have been fasting, so we're going to feast on the 28th. Um, that's going to be our thing, so make sure you stay after the second service next week, or come back if you're, if you're a first service person, although you, you guys are probably second service people. You're here second service, right? Some of you are coming later, though, because you're like, I didn't want to get out this morning. Oh, I guess I better make it to church. But whatever it is, I'm glad that you're here today. Um, We are in the second week in our series on the prophet, the man, Elisha. I'm calling this series Seeing the Unseen because there's so much that God is at work in the world and in our lives that we just don't even notice. And through this series, I hope that your eyes will be open. The eyes of your heart will be open to those things. And as we're going to see today with Elisha, his eyes were open to, to what God was doing. And then through him, we can learn how we are supposed to step up. Because sometimes there are these times in our life where the rubber meets the road. It's a critical juncture where somebody has to step up, and it's time for us to do that. It's time for us to do that. You got to hear an amazing story, testimony from Shannon, where she was at that moment in her life. Where she was at her moment, and... and it's time to step up. What do you do? Because what happens is those moments are difficult and we're unsure of ourselves. We don't know if we have it in us. I remember it was about this time last year. It was actually, I think, January 15th where I had one of those moments because our daughter, McKinley, had been born on the 5th and she was born with pneumonia. So right away, it was pretty terrifying and scary. She had to be taken into the NICU and she was there and, and it was scary for a little while, but then she got the help that she needed and, and we had incredible nurses while we were there for 10 days in the NICU and those nurses like taught us how to change a diaper and, and bathe this baby. And so that was kind of a helpful time, but I just remember on the 15th of January when we were supposed to go home and I thought, uh-oh, there's no one to help me anymore. My wife, Melissa, and I, we've got to figure it out now. <laughs> What are we doing? And I remember it so vividly because that day was a nasty ice storm, just like kind of like today, except in Nebraska, the wind was blowing so bad. It was like 40 mile an hour wind. So I remember driving home and it's like, this is my first real act as a father to drive us home in the middle of this ice storm, going as slow as I can over this ice. The wind's blowing. I had to drive so safe and slow, slow because I have a child now to protect. And I was nervous. I was unsure. How am I going to do all this stuff? How, how am I going to figure this all, all out? But, but you get to these moments in your life. That was one for me. And it's time to step up. You don't know if you even have it in you. Do I know how to do this? Do I have the right skills? And, and you're, you're questioning yourself. And those are the moments that we need some help. We need some help. So we're going to learn from Elisha because he had a moment like that. And we're going to learn what we're supposed to do. And, and what the cool thing about this is not really about what we do in those moments. But we're going to learn how to approach those because we all have those times in our lives, don't we? Some of you are in them right now. It's time to step up. How do we do this? How do we approach this? And that's what we're going to learn, whether it's right now, you're in that moment, or or it's something coming up. I want you to be ready for it. Have you guys seen the movie Sully? 
It's a good movie, uh, written and directed by Clint Eastwood, um, starring Tom Hanks as Captain Sullenberger. He was, um, spoiler alert, it's not really spoiler alert because it's real. It's a true story, right? So you can just read the news. But uh, Captain Sullenberger was flying an A320 Airbus and yet full of passengers and of course, a couple of, I see a pilot right here, Ryan, you know the story well, I'm sure. A couple uh, birds hit and took out two of his engines. So he had to make a quick decision about what to do, and he's the one who actually landed that A320 on the, the river. Oh, what, why can't I space in the name of the rivers? On the Hudson, the miracle on the Hudson, of course. And he lands it, and everybody was rescued, and it was safe. But there's an interesting line at the end of that movie, as, as Captain Sully, played by Tom Hanks, says, you know... In my career, almost 30 years, I have delivered over a million passengers safely. He said, but I'm going to be remembered for 208 seconds. Because that's the decisions he had to make in 208 seconds. That moment, that time was for him to step up. And that's what he'd be remembered for. And we have those times in our life where we have to step up. It's the time we finally come into that position. Finally, the situation hits the fan. And it's time to do something. And you have to act quickly. You have to know what to do. And you have to go ahead. And what do we do in those times? How do we face them? And and thankfully, this message is going to help us see how to do that from the life of Elisha. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, you can look on a smartphone or tablet if you have it. We're going to have the main verses up here on the screen. We're not going to read every single one. You can read it on your own. In that passage, because we're going to um, go through the, the whole chapter today, but we're going to start in verse 1. We read, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, we'll get to that. Okay. It's kind of weird, right? What? Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. So what's going on here? Well, we were introduced to Elisha last week, and if you miss the, the message, you can always go back and listen to the audio or video on our website, stapletonchurch.com, under the media tab, and catch up. But this guy, Elisha, was just a normal guy. He was a rancher, a farmer, and he was out in his field with his oxen. He was probably pretty wealthy. He had a lot of land that was going to be his inheritance because he had 12 oxen, it says. He's out there working, doing what he's thought his whole life he's going to do, what his kids are going to do, his grandkids. And then comes Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, this great hero. And he comes and he takes his cloak and he puts it around Elisha, basically saying, come with me because I'm going to be passing the mantle on to you. This story that we're going to see today and, and that one from last week, that's where that phrase, passing the mantle, comes from. You've heard that. It's from the Bible. So he's passing the mantle. So he's saying, hey, Elisha, I know you got a career. I know you have an inheritance, but I want you to come follow me and learn from me because you're going to take over. And this was this amazing uh, life change for him. He had to make a major decision. And we saw last week that he had a good thing, but he left behind the good because God had something even greater for him. And that's what God does in our lives. So that's what we learned last week. But this week we're going to see Elisha actually have that moment where he has to take over. Because like it said... Elijah is going to be taken up into heaven. And Elisha, as we will see, knew it. And Elijah is telling Elisha, hey, I got to go. You should stay here. Because Elijah is going to leave. It's his last day on earth. And for some, some way, he knew it. He was a prophet. I guess God told him. Elisha knew it too. But Elisha was still holding on. He says, no, no, no. I'll, I'll go with you. I, I, I'll be with you. I, I promise I'm going to stick with you until the end. So he goes with 
Elijah. But what's interesting in verse 3, it says, the company of the prophets. So this is a whole group of pastors, teachers, prophets. It says they were at Bethel and they came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Now that's an interesting phrase and it took me a while. I really was studying this and and trying to understand it. I had a friend of mine I called up who really helped me grasp this passage. But I think what's going on here is that Elisha doesn't feel ready. Because Elijah said, hey, I have to leave. Elisha knew it was time for him to go and he says, no, no, I'm going with you. These 50 prophets or or these prophets, however many are there, they say, hey, your master's going to leave. You know you're going to have to let go. He says, be quiet. (laughs) I I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. No, no, no. He's here right now. I'm just going to stay with him. Because he realizes, I think, what's going to be ahead of him. He's not quite ready. And that's what happens for us. We're not quite ready. Even when that time comes, I, I don't know if I have it in me. I, I, I don't want to let go of this person you've been learning from. And what's interesting is this happens exactly the same. It's almost identical wording. Because Elijah then says, okay, you stay here, I'm going to Jericho. And Elisha says, no, 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 I'm going with you. And then there's a group of prophets there in, in Jericho and they say, hey, you know Elijah's going to leave you today. And he says the same thing, word for word. Be quiet. Don't talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Because he doesn't want to let go. He's not quite ready for it. You know, the interesting thing is that Elisha probably now has studied and learned and followed Elijah for a period of about 10 years. That's what some Bible scholars think. That he's been there for 10 years learning from him, seeing these miracles that Elijah performs. And it says in chapter 3, we'll see it next week, that uh, Elisha even, it says, poured water on the hands of Elijah. Meaning he was his servant. He, he was doing everything for this guy. They probably became very good friends. They were very close. This is his mentor. He loved this man. And, and now Elijah's going to leave. And Elisha knows it's all going to be on him. What's interesting is that even if we have trained and studied and prepared for something, when the time comes, we still are unsure of ourselves. That's what Elisha was going through. Shannon shared her story. I mean, she had trained, she had even been a principal before, if you know her, but, but when it takes, it's her job, I mean, it, that was a crazy situation with uh, all the things that were going on in that school, and, and somebody had to step up. Somebody had to be in charge, somebody had to do it, and, and when you get to that moment, you're a little unsure of yourself. You don't know, do I have it in me? Do I have it in me? So that happened a second time. And then the third time, Elijah says, hey, now I'm going to the Jordan River. They were in Jericho. The two times had happened. And he says, hey, I'm going to the Jordan, so you stay here. And what does Elisha say again? I'm going with you. I'm going with you. A third time, he's like, no, I'm I'm going with you. I I don't know if I'm ready for it. So an interesting thing happens here. As they go to the Jordan, there's a group of 50 prophets from Jericho who go with them. So they're kind of standing as like an audience. And here is Elijah with Elisha and he takes his cloak. The same cloak he had put around Elisha saying, hey, you're going to be the one who takes the torch from me. I'm passing the mantle to you. He takes that cloak and he rolls it up right there on the edge of the Jordan. Now, I just imagine, he, you know, do you remember back in like the locker room? Take that towel and roll it up. I just, this is what I picture in my head. So he's standing on the edge of this river Jordan. And he has that. He's rolling up the cloak. 
Now, what's interesting, I, I studied a lot about this river because I was picturing something in my head, and then when I looked at pictures of it online and, and read about the River Jordan, it was a lot different than what I had pictured in my head. Because I'm from, like, the West, and out here in the West, you know, you can see across rivers and everything, but over in the Jordan, it was like a dense jungle. In fact, often it's called the jungle of the Jordan or the thicket of the Jordan because it was so dense with growth. There were tamarisks growing up on either, either side. And this Jordan River, especially there on the south end where it went into the Dead Sea, which was near Jericho, the river would have gone even faster and faster. So this is a fast-flowing river. You can barely see uh, across it or around it. And they're standing at the river. And this river is, is so fast at this point where there's, it's hard to get across. There's only a few places you can get across the river. There are no bridges at this time. And right now, today, it's about 100 feet across at a lot of places, but it would have been at least three times as wide at this time. So this is a, a wide river. It's fast-flowing. There's no bridges, no way across. And it has some biblical significance because this was the same river, this is the same river that Joshua led the Israelites through to get to the Promised Land. They were on the other side. They would have been on the east side of the Jordan River, wandering for 40 years in the in the desert, and now finally they're going to enter into the promised land, and Joshua performs this great miracle, right? All of a sudden they go to this river and it parts, and the entire nation of Israel is able to go across on dry land to make it into the promised land. This great miracle in Israelite history, and this river would have divided nation from nation and people from people. It was, it was a barrier, right? And now God's people have gone across. So here they are, Elijah and Elisha, with these 50 guys watching, Standing at the edge of the river, Elijah's getting his cloak rolled up, and he strikes the water. That's why I have this imagery of the, the locker room, right? Right? He strikes the water, and something happens. The water parts, just like it did in the day of Jericho. Uh, I'm sorry, in the day of Joshua. The water parts. The water that's coming downstream from the north stopped coming. And there's dry ground. And Elijah and Elisha go across. And the 50 men who were watching, who saw all of this, watch them go. So not only has Elisha seen miracles and, and heard Elijah stand before kings and give prophecies, now Elijah has performed maybe one of the greatest miracles in Israelite history. He has duplicated what Joshua did. I mean, this is things that they had heard about in tales and read about. Oh, is that true? And then they see it happen and Elisha's right there. Could you imagine how he felt? I'm taking over for that guy. That's the guy I'm supposed to follow in his footsteps. I'm supposed to become the prophet like Elijah. And they go across just the two of them. And I, I can just imagine what Elisha's feeling. He's not wanting to let go at all, is he? He's staying as close as he can because he's not ready. And they're walking. And, and finally, Elijah says something to him. Verse 9, it says, When they had crossed... Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? He's like, I've taught you, I've trained you, you've been with me for ten years, I've shown you how it's all done, what else do you need? And Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. And Elijah says, you have asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. We talked last week that Elisha was giving up his inheritance. That he was leaving everything behind now to go with Elijah. He was leaving up the good for something even greater. So now he asks for this special inheritance from Elijah. He asks for his spirit. 
You know, Elisha had already been told, hey, you're going to be the next guy. He already put the cloak over him, right? Symbolically. He had already been taught now for ten years. He'd studied, he'd followed, he'd, he'd done everything with Elijah. And now he still asks for something more. I wonder if he still didn't feel adequate enough. I really think that's what's going on here. And I think that because this friend I called is a guy named Sean. And Sean and I are pretty good friends. Sean moved to Nebraska about a year after I had moved there. I was a pastor in Nebraska for almost six years. And he got there maybe a year after I was there. And Sean was an associate pastor. So he had studied for about four years in Dallas at this great seminary. And he now moving up to be an associate pastor with the plan of taking over from the senior pastor. This was going to be his job. He was going to take the mantle from this guy. And he'd studied with him, learned how to be a pastor for four years. Well, just two weeks ago, this is his second Sunday, he took over as senior pastor. And I, I was talking with him about this because I, I called him up and was just like, hey, what was it like? Were you ready? You know, you had studied for so long, four years in school, and then over four years as the associate pastor watched Stan, the guy he was taking over from, how he did everything. You learned how to do it all. You had, had practiced everything. Were you ready? And he's like, no. I felt so inadequate. He said he was just questioning everything. He said that he took two weeks off before he would start last Sunday. And he was back home in Texas with his family. And he had a 14-hour drive back to Nebraska. And he said, you know, the whole time I was driving, that's a lot of time to think. And I was asking myself, do I have it in me? Do I have the gifts? Do I have the skills? That's how we felt. And that's how we all feel. Even though we've trained and prepared, we've thought about it, maybe we've even dreamed about doing this thing, and then we get thrown in there and you're like, uh-oh, do I have what it takes? I need something more. That's what Elisha needed. He said, I need something more, Elisha. I need something more. I don't know if I'm ready for it. And then something even more incredible than the parting of the Jordan River happens. If you know this story, a lot of people that aren't even Christians have heard this story, right? Elisha is there walking with Elijah by themselves on, on the east side of the Jordan. And then all of a sudden, boom, this chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire come down and separate Elijah from Elisha. Incredible. This is the presence of God. Well, this is something that's bizarre. Okay, this only happens one time in history. So if you've never seen that, that's okay. Right? This is a miracle. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, Elijah is picked up by a whirlwind and goes into heaven never to be seen again. Whoa! Now Elisha has seen two of the most incredible miracles in all of human history. And he's left there by himself on the other side of the Jordan. Can you just imagine how he must have felt? Uh Uh-oh, I guess it's time to step up. So he's stuck now on the other side of the Jordan. Fifty guys are waiting for him to come back across. I I can just picture him thinking, "Uh uh-oh. If I come back on the other side soaking wet because I had to swim across, what are they going to think? What are they going to think? He's been training and planning. He's seen Elijah perform these miracles, but does he have it in himself? I think he was wondering. He was worried. Because what it says is that he picked up the cloak and he went and stood at the Jordan again. And, And we pick this up again in verse 13. It says, Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And this is what he said. I I think this is so important. It helps us understand this passage. 
He says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Yes. I think that's so important because he doesn't say, where is the Lord my God who has all power in the world? I believe in him and trust in him. No, no, no. He says, where, where's Elijah's God? Hmm. I think that wording is so interesting because I think even at that moment when it was his time to step up, everything was coming together. And is he going to be the guy? It's him. There's no one else. He still is kind of timid, right? Where is Elijah's God? Is he going to do this? See, when I talked with Sean, he said that someone had died in the church while that week that he was gone. So his very first thing as he was coming back was to do this funeral for a woman who was really a matriarch in the church. Everyone knew her. There were going to be hundreds and hundreds of people there. His first act as the senior pastor was going to be doing this funeral for this woman. And he asked himself, did I make a mistake as he's driving there? Maybe I don't have it in me, right? Those are the questions that are going through his head. Maybe I can't do it. And I think that Elisha had the same thoughts. At that moment when... It was all coming together. Was he going to be able to cross the Jordan like Joshua, like Elijah, his predecessor? He's saying, God, this God of Elijah, is he there? Not his God. He still has questions. But he strikes the water anyways. And what happens? The river parts. The water from the north is stopped and there's dry ground. And Elisha crosses back over and there are the 50 men who have been waiting. And they say this to him company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They could see it. They knew that he had it. And I don't even think maybe until that moment he realized he had it. But he did. Because it wasn't him all along, was it? Even at that moment, he's saying, ah, where's the God of Elijah? But he hits that water, and the God of Elijah, the God of Elisha, and our God shows up in power. Here's the thing that we can learn from this passage, from this story. Is that what God calls you to, he empowers you through. What God calls you to, he empowers you through. See, he had called Elisha. And Elisha was tentative. He was unsure. He wasn't ready to let go of this person who he had loved. He even calls him my father in this passage because they had such a close relationship and now he's gone. He's having to take over this mantle and he doesn't know if he has it. He says, where's the God of Elijah? But God shows up because it doesn't matter if he has it in him because God has the power to do it. God shows up. So I want to challenge you the same way because there are things that God calls you to and God leads you to and when he does them, when he puts you in that position, when he has you to take over for that person who has gone or died or, or retired, and it's only you, when you're the one who has to take care of the kid, when you're the one who has to figure things out, there's a crisis, there's a situation, when you're there, if God calls you to it, if he led you there, he will empower you through it. He will. This is so important for us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had a similar issue. And, and Jesus says this to Paul. He says, My grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. God doesn't say, Summon up the courage. You can do it. Man up. Woman up. You got it in you. No, no, no. 
He says, when you're weak, when you don't know if you can do it, when you feel insufficient and inadequate, like you don't have the gifts or skills or experience, that's when God wants to empower you because His power is made perfect in our weakness. He shows up. Billy Graham once said, the will of God will not take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. That's true, and I think that's what Elisha learned that day, and I hope that you will learn as well. Where God calls you to, he will empower you through. Now, if you're wondering, well, Matt, I don't have a calling like you do. I, I just don't, I don't know about that. The reality is when God leads you to something, he is calling you to that. Maybe it's something that will only be temporary and there's a greater calling and, and God leads us to greater things. But I think it's really interesting. The English word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means calling. Our vocation, what we're doing is what God has called us to and led us to. He leads us through these circumstances. He leads us to the position where it's time to be the senior pastor. It's time to step up as the principal. It's time to be the parent. It's time to whatever. God leads us to those things and calls us to those things. And if you're saying, well, Matt, my thing isn't that big. Well, where you're at right now is your calling. And, and God has led you there and he will empower you through it. Um, one pastor, Stephen Furtick, says that whatever God calls you to do is the greatest thing you can be doing at that moment. So where you are right now, God wants to empower you through it with his Holy Spirit, just like he did Elisha. Just like he did Elisha. And you'll begin to feel like, well, maybe God leads you to something else, but that's okay. But what you're doing right now is your calling, where you're supposed to be, the situation you were put in. Another thing I want to be clear about is some of you are saying, well, Matt, I want to have that position. I want to be the person who makes the decision. And I've been waiting. I've been studying. I've been preparing for so long. And I think, too, we need to learn from Elisha what he did. Because the whole time, Elisha was just simply faithful. He just did what his task was, even pouring water on Elijah's hand. (laughs) And how more mundane could that be? He did it, and then he stuck with Elijah to the very bitter end. He's like, I'm staying with you, I'm staying with you, I'm going to be faithful to this thing. Because when we're faithful for those small things, and God empowers us through those small things, he prepares us for the bigger things. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in Luke 16. He said, whoever can be trusted with small things can also be trusted with big things. And in one of his parables in Matthew, Jesus says, his master said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Elisha was faithful with those small things and and God was preparing him for that and then he gave them big things. And that's what God does. When we are faithful and we step up, even when we're unsure of it, and and we make it through by God's power, then the next thing comes along, it's even bigger and harder. And then he empowers you through that, and he keeps doing that. That's the incredible part. You know, I've shared that, you know, when when I came here, I felt like I was... I knew what I was doing as a pastor. I knew how to preach. I'd been doing it for almost six years. I, I could handle this. So, so when I got here, after about a couple months, of course, we had basically a financial crisis. We've told you about this. And we were spending way over what we were uh, bringing in in tithes and offering and, and our preschool money. And it was a crisis. And I remember we were meeting every week trying to figure out what to do. And I remember one night where I was on my knees praying because I had no idea what I was doing. I'll be honest. I knew nothing about business finances. I, I didn't know how to run a nonprofit with the financial angle. In fact, I had only been taking all, over our personal finances for about a year. I took them over in 2017, and all of a sudden I'm trying to figure out what to do with the whole church, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was on my knees. God, help me, because I don't know what to do. 
Well, together with elders, we prayed and we came up with a plan and we announced it to you guys last July. I think it was July 4th or 3rd or something like that. Beginning of July and we announced because we were saying, hey, we're, we're making cuts in spending and we need another $50,000 in giving so we can do some things that are needed and get out of debt. And I remember when I announced that to you, I was terrified. I was. I'm like, how are they going to respond? What if everybody leaves? Then it'll be an even bigger mess. <laughs> but you guys responded so well, and God empowered me through that because I didn't know what I was doing, and he worked through you guys. And we're meeting with the finance board this afternoon, so this might be a little bit premature. But we now have enough money to pay off our debt completely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's <laughs> pretty cool. And... And it's incredible that you guys gave that way, and we've been healthy financially for a few months now, but it's just so cool to see God working through all of that and, and through all of you. And, and it's just God's Spirit working in those situations. Because we all have those times where we're like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I can't do it. But God can empower you through it with His Spirit. And I want you guys to experience that just like Shannon did, just like Sean did, just like I have. And, and I want you to, to feel God's Spirit in you. Because the coolest thing, the coolest thing that a lot of us don't process is but that Jesus relied on that power too. Did you know that Jesus didn't perform a miracle? He didn't do anything in ministry until he had been baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. He didn't do anything until he had the Holy Spirit. And then he went out and he didn't just cross a, a river in, on dry ground. He walked on water. <laughs> and then he went because he knew that his hour had come. That's what he said. And he went to the cross giving his life for us. And he was able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says that we receive that same power when we believe. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. And that's the spirit we walk in. And that's why I can say that when God calls you to something, he empowers you through it too. Let's pray. God, I, I just thank you for this story of Elisha and, and what we can learn from him. He was human like us. He was tentative. He, he was still holding on to this mentor he had, but it was his time. It was time to step up. And you empowered him, and I pray that you would empower us as well. Would you give us your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, so that we can go out here in power. And Lord, whatever the thing is that we're facing that we need your power for, would you help us to get through it? If you've called us to it, Lord, we know that you will empower us through it as well. And we thank you for that. Amen.